following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. So last night I was at a banquet celebrating the 25th anniversary of Northeastern Seminary, which is where I got my Master of Divinity in 2005. And it was a room filled with seminary types, you know, religious professionals. And uh, I don't know if, like in your industry, you have the the standard conversations that emerge when you're together with your people, but uh, in this type of room, the questions always come back to, like, church stuff. And there's always this little bit of asking of questions and maybe a little bit of comparison and measurement happening in the, in the questions. But, you know, the questions always come around to me when I'm in those rooms. You know, what, tell me about your church. How long have you been there? What denomination are you? How many people attend? Um, what ministries do you do? What kind of makes your church tick? And all that stuff. I, the added question I always get is, why did you call it? Why is it called that? Um, Which is a fun question to answer, but it's not for today. And I realized as I was having that conversation, you know, for the 500th time in my life, that at this point in my life and in our life together, I don't actually know the answers to some of the questions about the current state of Artisan Church. And... I think the reason is that we had a a big old pandemic. And post-pandemic, church life is just very different. Very, very different. Attendance is either down or sporadic or less consistent than it used to be. Pre-pandemic, I used to tell people, yeah, my church is filled with kind of like every other weekers. You know, so the people who are involved at Artisan is probably two times the number of people who might show up on a a given Sunday. And post-pandemic... It might be like every other monthers, <laughs> you know, or every three weeks or four weeks. Ministry involvement is a big challenge. Like, we have so much stuff that we want to do as a church, and it's very hard to do it. Um, and we still all kind of feel a little disconnected from each other, don't we? You never know who you're going to see in person or online on a given Sunday. And everyone around the table that I was sitting at agreed and echoed this. They said, yes, I see the same thing at my church right now. Now, there are a lot of really good reasons why people might be less connected to church than they used to be. Um, I think when, when the whole world shut down, most of us took a long, hard look at our lives for a variety of reasons, right? One of which was just like, what else were we going to do? (laughs) I often describe it as like, we all were carrying this gigantic cardboard box of stuff around with us. All the stuff we did. All the things that defined who we were. All the things we cared about. And, you know, March 2020 hit and everything closed up and we all just sort of dumped those boxes out on the table. And... Depending, you know, everybody started kind of dealing with the stuff that was in the box at a different stage in the game. But I think we're all of us kind of still somewhat in this process of deciding what's going to go back in the box as we do KonMari method on our our lives. How much is going to get taken to the thrift store or the dumpster? How much is going to get neatly folded and put back? Do you know what I mean? 
we're all kind of like looking at the things we were doing, and we realized that we kind of enjoyed not doing some of them, or not doing them as much. And so this past year or so, we've gradually been like adding some things back in, removing some things for good, replacing some things with other things. Right? And all of this has left some of us, I think, asking the question that became the title of this new series that we're starting today, which is, Church, Why Bother? I get it. I want you to know, right at the outset, I get it. If I wasn't employed in a church, <laughs> I probably wouldn't be an every weeker. <laughs> and my pledge to you, in case your like, stomach is already clenching, is that this is not going to be a guilt trip. If you, if you hear me approaching the territory of guilt trippia, uh, just put two fingers in the air. Right? <laughs> That's the symbol. Slow down, Pastor. Nobody calls me pastor. (laughs) Except Pastor Simmons. Pastor Simmons calls me pastor. (laughs) By the way, Pastor Simmons from Baber AME Church and I had lunch this week, and he came and saw the the building for the first time since we've done the renovation. We haven't done a joint worship service with Baber in several years, as you know. And he uh, sends his love and and thinks the space is beautiful and is very excited for all of us. So. But no guilt trips in this series, because I honestly think that the question is a very good question. Church, why bother? Keep bumping into this. I'm just going to put it over here. Church, why bother is a legitimate question. Right? And if you're asking that question, I fully support you. I affirm the asking of the question. Um, and, and there are a lot of really extremely beneficial ways to spend your time and nourish your spirit and have transcendent and what I would call religious and valid experiences outside the walls of church, right? So if you, if you have church on Irondequoit Creek or at the top of a, a high peak or at a music festival like I did last week, um, I affirm all of that. My pastoral counsel to you, if you'll allow me uh, in just for a minute, would be to make sure that you are being intentional about the process of adding stuff back in and deciding to remove other stuff and replacing some stuff with that stuff, right? Because what happens sometimes is you dump the cardboard box out, right? You let it all sit there for a long time, and then suddenly the, the world is ready for you to be back into, like, normal mode. And you just like start putting stuff back in the box in the order of which thing is screeching at you the loudest, right? And that's you know, probably not the healthiest way to, to prioritize the activities of your life. Which thing is screeching at me the loudest? So my pastoral counsel to you is if you're, if you're still in the process of figuring all that stuff out, um, it's okay to take it slow, and I would encourage you to make values-based decisions rather than circumstance-based decisions. This is one of the things I say to people in premarital counseling all the time, every time I do it. Please have your values in order and let your circumstances as a couple flow from the values that you've established together. Because if you don't do that, then what's going to happen is life is going to give you circumstances, and you are going to allow those circumstances to dictate the values that you live your life by. So you get to choose as long as you choose to choose. 
So, my hope is that this series will answer the question of church, why bother? And I'm going to try to do that in three ways. I'm going to use three pronouns during this series to describe the reasons why I think it's worth bothering with church. The pronouns are you, us, and we. Today's sermon is about just a few of the many ways that church can be a benefit to you as an individual. It's about you. And, um, you know, in the rules of threes that all pastors must live by, I have three pronouns, one for each of the three weeks, and then I I have three points in today's sermon. There's three (laughs) types of ways that churches have benefit to you. It's, it's, I do not have a poem for the end yet, (laughs) yet. I will compose one on the fly. The next two weeks are going to be about us and we. So we're going to be moving from the individual into the communal. Now I know what you're all asking. What is the difference between us and we? You'll have to ask somebody who understands English grammar. (laughs) Or if you don't want to have that excruciating type of conversation, You could just come back to church two more times after that. So you have to decide which one is worse, talking to someone who understands English grammar or coming to church three weeks in a row. Uh Uh-oh, sorry, yes. (laughs) Thank you, you. I see that hand. Settle down there, Pastor. It's all done. But whether you're a person who's on the fence about sticking with church or you're a person who's actually, this is happening too in this season, a person who's explores, exploring the possibility of being a part of a church for the first time, or for the first time in a long time, uh, I hope that this series will give you uh, some ways to think about that in a careful and considered way, and worst case scenario, there's a cute little kitten. <laughs> you can always look at the cute little kitten. All right, how is church of benefit to you? This is, this is all about you this week. And it's, uh, it's, an, it's a, you know, the, the pronoun you can be singular or plural in English. I'm, I, hi, it's me. I'm the problem. It's me. I'm the one who understands English grammar. Um, this, is the, this is the singular you. How is church a benefit to you? All right. Let's look first at a little passage from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. It says this, And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, don't worry too much about that last phrase, as you see the day approaching. And the, the translators, the, the editors of this version of the Bible, very helpfully capitalized the word day for us so that we would know to be scared of it. Right? <laughs> I don't want you to be scared of that. See, there's, there's a lot of apocalyptic expectation in the New Testament. And it turns out that maybe the world wasn't going to end in 10 minutes after the author finished composing their letter. Did you see, by the way, that the latest rapture prediction failed to come true? Again? Rapture predictions... (laughs) Because you're still here, Penny. Rapture predictions have a 0% success rate so far. I like to think of it rather as a 100% inaccuracy rate. Good job by all of you who make rapture predictions. None of you do that, right? But here's the thing. We we might actually benefit from hanging on to the spirit of that type of warning. Not because I think the world is going to end in some apocalyptic fashion very soon. I actually don't think that's what's going to happen. 
But whether or not there is a God-ordained apocalyptic ending to the world on the immediate horizon, it sure does seem sometimes like the planet is on fire, right? Maybe literally and definitely figuratively. And I hope that if nothing else, COVID taught us about the preciousness and the shortness of life and how we really should savor and treasure every day and try to make the, mess, the, the best and the most, which I call the mess, of each day. As of right now, I call it mess. So we have to, uh, you know, the, the author of this letter says, we have to consider how our being together can make each one of us better, right? So the fact that you come into church means that you get the benefit of other people with you. And I love how the language of these couple of verses unfolds. It says um, being, uh, that, we, that we provoke one another to love and good deeds. Provoking is a really, that's a really interesting verb there. Have you ever been provoked to do something by a crowd that you probably didn't want to do or wouldn't have chosen to do if you hadn't been in the crowd? Right? I remember uh, one time not terribly long ago that I, had, I attended uh, and participated in a protest for a cause that I believed in. And then somebody started chanting something that seemed to me to be not the reason that I was at the protest. <laughs> that seemed like that's, that's a couple steps removed from the thing that I was here to chant. <laughs> and everybody's chanting this thing, and I'm like, I'm not going to chant that thing. That's not me. All the stuff that, the other stuff, yes. But when you're in a crowd, you can kind of like get pulled into something that you didn't intend to get pulled into, right? And the fun thing about church yeah, is that we can actually provoke each other to wonderful things, to love, and to good deeds. Usually you think of crowds provoking people, you think of them being provoked to madness, to violence, and that certainly does happen. Probably happens in religious communities. No, let's be honest, it definitely happens in religious communities. I think that was part of what caused the Crusades. But the true calling of the Christian church is that we would provoke one another to love and good deeds. And if you're a person who needs some provoking in order to be more loving, who needs to be provoked in order to do good deeds, the ideal of church is that you would find that provocation when you're here. That's one of the benefits to you of being in this place and being part of this community. It also says, um, don't, you know, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. <laughs> right? <laughs> that word really hits hard, doesn't it? Neglecting. Um, if you don't know, this verse from the book of Hebrews is one of the verses that is often used in high-control religious settings to keep people showing up and giving time and money showing up and giving time and money. And if you don't show up or stop giving time and money, you might get a phone call or an email or a sideways glance at the coffee shop because you're going to be told you're neglecting the fellowship. You're neglecting the meeting together. Don't be like some people. Be like the other people, the good people, the ones who come to church every week. You know, I, I can see in your eyes some of you have heard this message, and I've already made my guilt-free promise. That is not 
what I want you to hear from this verse. In fact, I want you to know that you are safe here, if that's been your experience and you're kind of feeling a, like the, the stomach clenching. Um, and I, if that sounds like overstated to tell people you're safe here from that kind of language, let me tell you this. I would say for m most of the last 10 or 15 years, one of the most common things I've heard from people who find their way here is that they um, are either a member of the LGBTQ plus community or they love someone who is or they just love people and they have, they have seen how the church has wounded that community and they're looking for a place where that wounding won't take place or at least where it won't be like always, always, always happening, right? And in the last two to three years, something that has come up almost equal with that in what people talk to me about when they explore artists and church, they have questions. They want to know, is it safe here? The thing that they're talking about is um, the volunteer grind at their previous church or churches. I, I've been taken somewhat by surprise by this fact, but it is exceedingly common for people to have come from a church where the expectation on their participation level was so high and so heartless that it made them never want to go to church again. And they, they, they're just barely dipping their toes in the water of coming. And, and their, their number one question is, are you going to do that to me? Because I'm not going anywhere where that's going to be done to me again. Um, and I'm trying to pay attention to that, even as I talk about this topic in a way that's really encouraging you to, to be part of church and to be more part of church if you can. So what do I mean by that? If I'm not going to lay the guilt trip on you with this verse of neglecting the fellowship, this is what I mean. I am so, 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 so busy these days myself, and I feel like I neglect something like a hundred times a day. Lord, carry me through to the day when I won't have so much on my plate. But the truth is, that I don't neglect everything. There is something within me that prioritizes some things and makes sure that some things get done, even as other things get totally neglected. And let's be honest, there's a lot of space in between getting something done and totally neglecting something, right? But you see where I'm going with this. Maybe you have a similar situation in your life where it's not so much that you've been neglecting the, uh, the meeting of, of the fellowship, but that there's so much going on in your life that stuff is falling through the cracks, right? Now, I would ask you to consider what are the priorities in your life? What are the things that really do matter to you most? This is related to the thing I said before about putting things back in the cardboard box. Don't just do the stuff that's screeching at you the loudest. Don't just do the stuff that seems like it's most on fire. Those things have to be attended to sometimes. but I would ask you to consider what your values and priorities are in your life. And listen, I'm not assuming an answer. I'm, I'm not expecting you all to say, well, Artisan is number one. Number two, after Mario Kart. <laughs> Mario Kart is fun, by the way. I'm not here to give you the answer to the question, I promise you. I don't have the answer to that question for you, but I am here to encourage you to ask the question of yourself and give an honest answer. So. That's, 
That's point one. The first type of benefit to you is what we might call inspiration and encouragement. By being in the room with people, you get to the benefit of being inspired by them, uh, encouraged by them, and provoked by them onto good deeds and love. Right? The second one uh, is teaching and admonishment. Who's ready for some admonishment? <laughs> and gratitude. So you're going to get admonished and you're going to like it. Let's look at Colossians 3.16. This is one of my favorite books of the Bible, by the way. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. Now, if you are a person who wants the word of Christ to dwell in you richly, which is to say, to have Christ's love and teaching and way of being, living and thriving in your own life, then you have to show up for each other. You have to come to the place where you're going to receive that. And teach and admonish one another is... (laughs) such an interesting thing to say. Do you notice it doesn't say, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, sit in the pew and let the pastor teach and admonish you. It says teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And that kind of like communal experience of discernment and wisdom and learning And yes, sometimes a little bit of butt-kicking is one of the incredible benefits of Christian community when it's functioning the way it should. And if you want that benefit, the best way to get it is to opt in to the Christian community. And my little snarky joke a minute ago aside, it does go right after this to the idea of gratitude. And gratitude is one of these topics that I feel like is kind of in the zeitgeist of the, um, of the, I don't know, maybe I just am exposed to a lot of like mental health related social media memes, <laughs> but it seems like gratitude is having a moment right now. It was vulnerability a couple years ago, now it's gratitude. And I love that. Both of those things are great, by the way. Gratitude is wonderful. And it's a fascinating concept because Sometimes you ask the question, what does it mean to be thankful? Am I, don't, doesn't that need a direct object? Thankful to what? Thankful to whom? That's a hint, by the way, about the us and we stuff. Um, and yes, sometimes I think it does, but not always. I think gratitude can be a way of life. And this connection between gratitude and teaching and admonishment is fascinating to me. They're they're right next to each other, which usually in the scriptures means that the author had some kind of thematic connection in mind. Not always, but usually. So there's some connection between being in community with each other and receiving that kind of wise teaching and admonishment and getting to a place of being oriented toward thankfulness and gratitude. Which does make sense, right? Would you say it's easier to be grateful in a group or grateful alone? I think it's way easier to be grateful in a group, especially if the group has kind of set its posture that way. By the way, it then goes on to say songs. Songs. Church, why bother? 
Songs. <laughs> Isn't it fun to sing together with people? I think it is. Thank you, Shannon and Sean, and everybody who does music here. Thank you, all of you who com compose and comprise the Artisan Choir each week. We don't have a choir with robes that stands up here, although I'm not ruling that out someday. We have a choir that sort of gathers around in the seats. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I love it. So that's the second one. Second benefit to you of church is hopefully teaching and admonishment and gratitude and songs. And the third type, the third type of benefit of being in church community, I would like to think, is fellowship, prayer, and sacrament. I'm going to take you to the book of Acts now. This is the story of the early Christian church and its development. Uh, and this is from a description of what happened when Christianity began to spread like wildfire in Jerusalem after the resurrection. Um, this is the, the verse right before this one says that 3,000 people were added to the church's number on a particular day. And then it goes on to say, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, a lot of the benefits that I've described in these first two categories of how church is a benefit to you, I will admit, some of, a lot of that stuff you can get in other places. And I think you should when you can. Church does not have a monopoly on that. I think church might have a monopoly on, on some of this. The early Christians knew that they needed to learn from the apostles the apostles, who were they? They were the people who were closest to Jesus. They were the ones who knew Jesus intimately. And the people who were being formed as the early Christian church made it a commitment to hear from the apostles. Now, none of those apostles are with us anymore. What we have is derivative of them. But the church does kind of hold that stuff up. And when you come in here and hear the scriptures read, even before you hear a sermon about it, hopefully you are hearing the teaching of the apostles and it's beginning to seep into your soul. And who are the people who know Jesus most intimately now? Well, I'd like to say that they're all in church. <laughs> I don't actually think that's true. Um, and we can and should look for the face of Jesus in the faces of the people who are not in church, including those who are marginalized outside of the church, by the church. But to learn from the teaching of the apostles is, is a different thing. And they also needed to be together. They devoted themselves to fellowship. And fellowship is a, it's a very churchy word. I'll acknowledge that. Some people would just define fellowship as whatever happens whenever churchy people are together. I don't think that's necessarily accurate. But I do think that church at its best can provide fellowship, which is like this sense of uh, spiritual community, which is the opposite of spiritual aloneness. Community is one of the five foundational values of Artisan Church. And we don't just mean we hang out together. Uh, although I certainly encourage you to go to the Sunday Social and um, go to my favorite coffee shop in the city, which is Fuego, um, and just kind of hang out and make friends, that's fine and good. 
but the act of being together, gathered around a common religious purpose, and building relationships around that intention, and allowing the teachings of the apostles who were closest to Jesus to guide and direct the way those relationships are formed and exist, that's fellowship. And that's more than just hanging out and having coffee. And what else did they devote themselves to? Well, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Breaking of bread, of course, refers to communion. I'm going to have some words about communion in just a minute. The prayers, we said the Lord's Prayer together. I don't know about you, but I don't end up saying the Lord's Prayer with anybody else, any other groups of people that I'm part of. Um, and the congregational prayer that we do every other week is a powerful way to forge those spiritual connections and deepen them. And I know that sometimes you, you, you share something for the community to pray about, and we all say, uh, we pray to the Lord, or I say we pray to the Lord, or the prayer team person says we pray to the Lord, and we all say together, Lord, hear our prayer, and we are all wondering, does the Lord hear our prayer? Is there a Lord to hear our prayer? Does prayer even matter? I think it does, but I validate the question, and I think this is the best place to ask it of yourself and of each other even if we don't vocalize it every time. I often try to remind you that if you don't feel that way about prayer today, the person sitting next to you might. They might have the strength in their soul to say, Lord, hear our prayer, and so you get to say it for them. And next time it comes around, the roles might be reversed. And you do not get this when you try to navigate your prayer life alone. You only get this when you are praying with other people. And so devoting ourselves to prayer, to the prayers, is something that I think must be done by coming into the, the setting of a church or some other religious community that you can form. And for me, I think about Holy Communion as the high point of our our worship of our liturgy every week. I don't know if that comes through to you, but classic Christian liturgical structure moves upward to the table and then resolves outward into the world. And God forbid anybody ever think that you are here primarily to hear my sermon. At my very best, what my sermon should do is invite you to this holy table that the Lord has laid out for those who want to find him. That this sacred mystery of bread and wine is the thing that the Spirit is actually inviting you toward each week in our liturgy. That's why we do it every single week. No shade against other churches that only do it once a month or twice a year. They're just wrong. You know, we're right. <laughs> our way of being is the best one. Truthfully, no shade, but this is the way we've chosen to structure our life together. And every single week, I want you to remember that the table is the, the, the thing. It's the thing. Ritual and sacrament. You, you really, really, really struggle to get that anywhere but in church. And so I hope it invites you back to this place 
as it invites me. So, being part of a spiritual community is good for you. Why owe you? Coming together for worship, fellowship, sacred, ritual, it's restorative to your soul in a way that nothing else is. Teaching, admonishment, songs, gratitude. But none of this will work. You've probably already made this leap in your head. None of this will work if the community is not functioning in a healthy way. If the community is not functioning in a healthy way, you can come in here until you're blue in the face and you might never get any of the benefits that I've just promised you, which has in store for you. And so, that's why we have to turn our attention to the communal aspect of being together. Church, why bother? Well, because if the first week of the sermon series is going to be true for individual people, the second and third weeks have to be true of all of the individuals who are gathered together. Unhealthy churches do not provide the benefits I've just described to their members. And in fact, unhealthy churches can do a lot of harm to people instead. So that's why the next couple of weeks are so important. I hope that you will come back. I hope that you, if you can't be here, will you know, listen to the podcast or join us online on Zoom or Facebook. And that this series will be a way of um, giving you some ideas to think about as you kind of structure your life in this next season. And now, in, uh, as a way of inviting you to the table, I'd like to read to you a passage from a sermon by John Wesley, one of my favorite Christian leaders and thinkers. He wrote very, very long sermons, by the way, way longer than I write sermons. If you think my sermons go long, you should go back in time to hear John Wesley preach or get assigned them in a seminary class. Um, but this one's pretty good. It's called On the Duty of Constant Communion. <laughs> For those who might say, eh, communion's not that important. Maybe I don't need to go to church today. I don't need the communion. Here's what he says. Fair warning, John Wesley made no such pledge about not laying a guilt trip on people. That was me, not John Wesley. And now I'm reading John Wesley, not me. The grace of God given herein confirms to us the pardon of our sins by enabling us to leave them. As our bodies are strengthened, so are our souls by these tokens of the body and blood of Christ. This is the food of our souls. This gives strength to perform our duty and leads us on to perfection. If, therefore, we have any regard for the plain command of Christ, if we desire the pardon of our sins, if we wish for strength to believe, to love and obey God, then we should neglect no opportunity of receiving the Lord's Supper then we must never turn our backs on the feast which our Lord has prepared for us. We must neglect no occasion which the good providence of God affords us for this purpose. This is the true rule. So often are we to receive as God gives us opportunity. Whoever, therefore, does not receive, but goes from the holy table when all things are prepared, either does not understand his duty or does not care for the dying command of his Savior the forgiveness of his sins, the strengthening of his soul, and the refreshing it with the hope of glory. Our table is open. Will you come and receive? For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.